Brian Mayer, thanks so much for joining us. You've recently returned from Rondonia, one of the Amazonian states in Brazil most affected by the fires. Its capital, Porto Velo, has been covered in thick smoke for weeks now. Let's start, if we could, with your on-the-ground impressions of travelling through and reporting from the region. How bad is the destruction wrought by the fires in Rondonia? Well, um, Rondonia, you know, it sits on the borderline with Amazonas state. And Rondonia is actually the first state where the Brazilian government decided to systematically cause deforestation as a strategy for economic development. And this was this idea was put in their heads by the World Bank, who lent them hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. So they actually invited 30,000 people from other parts, 30,000 families from other parts of Brazil to move in and start cutting down trees and making their, own, their small farms and things. And then within 10 years, agribusiness moved in and kicked everyone off their land, you know, illegally in many cases, and started concentrating land ownership in these huge cattle ranches and soy farms, soy plantations. And so even though Rondonia sits next to Acre and Amazonas State, which each have over 95% virgin forest cover still, still in 2018, it's the most deforested, you know, the traditional fully Amazonian states. And so, but it sits right across the river from Amazonas, right across the Madeira River. And so now they, they, they're calling it this ring of fire, this band of fire stretching along two new highways that are still dirt on most of the, the area. Uh, they're just cropping up with soy plantations. Uh, they're burning... Uh, the, the state of Amazonas is called a, a, a state of emergency, and they're just like whipping down trees with tractors and torching them. And they've, all, they've already started building grain silos deep in the Amazon uh, jungle in Amazonas state, like 100 kilometers up uh, from, from the capital of Rondonia, Porto Velho. So, and there's a lot of fires going on in Rondonia as well. What they've done, uh, there's a huge indigenous reservation near the, the capital port of the state capital of Porto Velho, and they've basically, uh, a group of 500 agribusiness plantation owners and ranchers have moved into the indigenous reservation and just parceled off 500 farms for themselves, and they're chopping down trees with tracks and chains and burning things right now. And, uh, uh, local liberation theology priest who's been working with indigenous peoples for 40 years in Rondonia told me that there are two tribes that were in that reservation that he hasn't seen in months, and he's worried they might have just been killed. You've touched on it already, Brian, but it's very noteworthy in a lot of the Western media coverage at any rate that the blame is really being focused on on small farmers, on cattle ranchers and so on. And there's precious little attention being given to the major corporate players who stand to benefit the most from these fires. Explain to our listeners who some of those major corporate players are, which, which companies we're talking about. And also how seriously we can take their public commitments to eliminating deforestation-linked cattle and soy from their supply chains. Okay, I'll focus on soy because this is what I was just focusing on with uh, on some of the news stories I did for TELUS or English the last week. Um, you know, uh, 
In 2006, Greenpeace put out this big international study targeting the soy industry as a bigger, blaming soy as being a bigger cause on deforestation than beef. Okay, much to the the, the discern of vegans everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> but but um, after that happened, it created this huge international scandal. And Cargill Company, Cargill Corporation, which apparently is the richest corporation in the world now, they supply you know McDonald's with all of their products, and they they earned 152 billion dollars last year. Cargill Corporation was the major corporation targeted in this Greenpeace report, and so they spent all this money on PR, uh, revamping their image as kind of stewards of the rainforest. So they invested a little bit of token amounts of money in social projects in the rainforest. I remember one that I was actually briefly uh, working on when I worked at CARE in 2006 on sustainable co cocoa from the Amazon, but it, like it never took off. It was, it was just PR funding, really. And they, they signed this accord, this agreement, that along with Bungie, you know, and, and some other big, I think Archer Daniels Midland, some other big companies, that they wouldn't buy any soy from newly deforested rainforests, okay? Except that this accord, this deal that they signed, had a clause in it that said they only, they only can't buy soy from plantations that are 100% dedicated to soy production in, in the rainforest. So what happens is all the middlemen are planting like one acre of corn on their soy plantation, and it creates a loophole which enables Cargill to continue buying anything they want, really. And so now they've already got a, a grain terminal with a capacity to ship 3.5 million tons of soy out of Brazil, you know, up up river to Santa Rem to their shipping port they built in the middle of the Amazon jungle in 2002. And, and after Lula was in prison last year, you know, Lula cut deforestation by 84% uh, when he was president. He did a lot of things to reduce deforestation. Brazil met its carbon goals like nine years early from, from the 2020 carbon goals or whatever. Once they learned Lula was arrested, they announced that they're building a new soy terminal in, in Porto Velho, almost doubling capacity for six, to take up to 6 million tons of soy in basically Porto Velho being in the middle of the Amazon, you know, in an area close to where this so-called ring of fire started, close to where this massive affront on, the, on some of the last really pristine, you know, uh, Amazon rainforest is going on. So it looks to me, as a you know outside observer, that they're betting that this is going to happen. That's why they're increasing their shipping capacity right now. It's been inspiring, Brian, to see signs of resistance to the destruction of the Amazon, particularly among the indigenous communities most directly affected. How large-scale and effective has that uh, resistance been, and does it stand a chance of success, or at least does it stand a chance of gaining political momentum and, and continuing to grow as a movement? Well, I think that the Bolsonaro government has, you know, very troubling neo-fascist tendencies, and they're actively engaged in genocide, encouraging genocide against indigenous populations right now. Most of these... Rondonia has over 300 different languages spoken. You know, most of these tribes are already really small. 
and it's very inspiring to see them fighting back. But they need a lot of solidarity. You know, they need a lot of solidarity. And I, I think that uh, one thing people can do in the, in the developed world is look at companies that are profiting at, uh, off of this destruction. Because when you talk about deforestation, you're also talking about genocide against indigenous peoples here, especially with a president who's saying he wants to open up 50% of all indigenous land to mining, logging, and agribusiness. You know, so, so I think you have to, like, for example, if you were in the United States, I would suggest pressuring your lawmakers to put pressure on Cargill. Europe, European Union buys about 40% of its beef from Brazil, and most of that comes from the Amazon. I know that there's some Australian mining companies poised to, uh, to profit from more destruction and definitely profit from um, access to indigenous reservations. 23% of the Romanian rainforest is on indigenous reservations. So if he opens up 50% of that for, for miners, loggers, and agribusiness, multinationals, and their middlemen, that means 11.5% of the Romanian rainforest could go very quickly. You know, so I think everyone around the world has to try and find out someone they could put pressure on and start putting as much pressure as they can. The last time we spoke to you was just after Jair Bolsonaro had been elected as president of Brazil. He's now been in office for some eight months. Let's look at the, the wider context of this uh, destruction of the Amazon, which is being seen as symbolic or is very much representative of the kind of ruthless neoliberal capitalists you've described there, even as neo-fascist approach of the Bolsonaro government. He's been dubbed by some commentators as the Trump of the tropics. Give us a wider picture of the kind of government Bolsonaro is the leader of what kind of destruction he has wrought to, to the people of Brazil and the state of play in terms of the overall political landscape in Brazil and, and also in terms of the social movements rising against him? I think that, first of all, they call him Trump of the tropics. That's, you know, that's a very mild comparison because, you know, Trump is obviously a con man who doesn't care about the environment or race relations or anything, uh, but he's not a literal... Neo-fascist. Now, Bolsonaro was a government official. He was a military captain. During the dictatorship, he's um, honored some of the dictatorship's biggest torturers, you know, and uh, he believes in a lot of the key tenets of the dictatorship. You know, um, people like Noam Chomsky and Edward Hurt coined, originally coined the term neo-fascism or sub-fascism to describe fascism to describe the kinds of government, military governments they had in Latin America in the 1970s. You know, so when I say neo-fascist, I'm not being liked with this term. It's exactly what his ideology is. Okay, so he has, you know, he has no problem uh, announcing that he's going to just shut down all of the indigenous reservations and that police should be able to shoot people at will because that's his ideology. Now, how he fits into the greater scheme of things in the world, I read a really good article by... George Monviat lately, in which he calls uh, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, and Jair Bolsonaro killer clowns, because what they basically do is they provide entertainment for the media, even if it's hate entertainment, and every day as the media puts out a new article about this or that ridiculous tweet, you know, one example is Jair Bolsonaro said that you should take a crap every other day to save the environment. You know, that made it all around the world and all the world media. That's just a distraction to distract the public 
as the oligarchs who, who finance these clown leaders rob us blind. And so I think in that sense, he's similar to Trump and uh, Boris Johnson. He's using those kinds of tactics of, of just saying really stupid and reactionary and silly things while his economic team just starts, you know, selling off all of Brazil's assets at below market rates to their corrupt, you know, partners in northern capital, you know, capitalism. For the first time in years, you know, there's a, a bit of a, I would say, a complacency that sat in on the organized Brazilian left during the Lula and Dilma Rousseff years. You know, because a lot of social movement and union leaders ended up in government cabinet positions. They put a lot of social policies through that heavily benefited them, you know, like yearly above minimum wage, salary increases across the board really helped the unions. Um, and so they got kind of complacent. Since the 2016 coup, they've become more united than ever. And this year we've had a series of huge education strikes where for the first time in years, you know, the first time I've seen in over a decade, the labor union and the, the high school and university students joined together uh, and held protests on three different occasions so far in over 200 cities on the same day uh, with over a million people on the streets all very closely coordinated, set up through these democratic assembly processes uh, across the country for months before the event, before it started. Not spontaneous color revolution kind of protest at all, but organized left. And, um, you know, it's been taking up a lot of momentum, but I, uh, I don't, I think that really for Bolsonaro to get pushed out, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, they're the, the elites are just going to keep him in power. He's an embarrassment to a lot of rich elites in Brazil. They're going to keep him in power until he pushes through a few more like neoliberal austerity for reforms, and then they're going to turn on him. That's what people are saying now. But it would be better if the momentum from the streets could cause something to happen here. And I hope it does. If, if Brazil dips into a recession, uh, I think at that point, the position of the social movements and labor unions and organized resist resistance would be really good. There's a lot of misconceptions about the PT party that have been spread around, especially by um, Anglo-left at some point, you know, and uh, little Trotskyist groups. Um, the PT party is still the largest party in Congress, and they gained uh, several gubernatorial seats this year. They basically control the entire northeast of Brazil. And um, along with their ally, the Communist Party. And so they're still a lot stronger than a lot of people give them credit for it. I mean, they've made it to the final round of every presidential election since 1989. And um, they're still a force to be reckoned with as long as the unions and the social movements keep supporting them. They form a base of around 20 million people who work the streets during election time, go out, talk to their neighbors and things like that. And they... They still communicate a lot of times without using the Internet, which is smart these days, too, because you see how easy it is to co-opt well-meaning protests on social media. I mean, you have, it looks like the British uh, government actually has an intelligence department uh, set up to do that kind of thing. And you see how that this is all so manipulated in the color revolutions going around like this one in Hong Kong right now. Uh, so I think it's smart. They're smart, and they've got a lot of new leadership 
and the MST and the, the, uh, the student unions and the labor unions are all working together now, trying to get Lula out of jail, trying to get rid of Bolsonaro to stop this, uh, this genocide and this ecological travesty that's going on in the Amazon right now.